We'll have the children dismissed to the Go Ye Kids. And the rest of us, let's, if you need an outline, there should, did the outlines make it back? Okay, check on the copy machine. I believe they're there. Um, and uh, we are just uh, going through a, a study on the Bible, its origin, its history, its translation, its preservation. And uh, one of the interesting things is that people claim to believe in a uh, inspired Word of God that was inspired only in the originals. And uh, if you pick up any modern book on the subject, uh, they'll talk about the original autographs. And, and what they simply mean by that is they mean the, the actual document that was written by the Apostle Paul or in the case of the Pentateuch by Moses. And uh, I would like for you to understand very clearly and, and without exception, there is no such thing as an original manuscript in existence today. Uh, about the closest we come uh, would be some of the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scroll of Isaiah is possibly a hundred and thirty, forty years uh, from the time of Isaiah. Uh, and they've gone through and compared that, and, and, and we'll talk about that in, in a little bit, but uh, there, there is no such thing as an original autograph. No one has it. And uh, I remember speaking to uh, a man one time, and he was telling me about the religion of Islam and how that there are no arguments about the Quran and everything is just all perfect because there's one copy in Mecca that everything is taken from. And uh, I, I just looked at the man and I said, uh, sir, I said, I sincerely doubt your veracity because I know that the, the Shiite Muslims and the uh, what, whatever the other name is, the Sunnis kill each other over what they think the Quran says in their disagreements. And so uh, we have a problem here. And uh, I said, don't, don't try to tell me that you have something that we don't. I said, here is what we have in our Bible, and we'll get to this in a little bit, uh, is we have literally thousands of copies in different ages, we have translations of the Bible in different languages. Some of them are separated over millennia of time periods. And we have quotations of the Bible. That's where the history of the manuscripts, it's those three sources. The quotations, the translations, and then the manuscript families in the Hebrew for the Old Testament and the Greek for the New Testament. And we can compare those, and what we get is independent testimony verifying the words that are there. It was John Bergen, Dean, Dean John Bergen, 
in the 1880s said that if every copy of the Bible were removed from this earth, every manuscript were completely destroyed, he said we could recreate our Bible word for word just from the quotations in the libraries of this world. And uh, he was a dean at uh, Oxford University, a very learned man, and uh, one of the greatest critics of Westcott and Hort, who are some of the founders of the modern uh, textual criticism of the Bibles with errors that are available today. So, so far in the last two weeks, we, we spent time... Psalm 12, in introduction, we went through that God's claims to have a preserved word, an inspired original without preservation, is absolutely worthless, isn't it? Because what we have today are copies. If there is no work of preservation going on, then what we have is not God's word. And that is the major tenet of those who would disregard the text. And what happens is now they become the gods of the Bible rather than the Bible being our final authority that teaches us. We can conform the Bible to mean what we want it to mean. And and God's Word claims to be authoritative. God claims to have authored the Bible and... When the Bible speaks, no matter what it speaks on, it is always right. That's what we reviewed last week. And, and uh, we did move rather quickly, and I hope that we will uh, move uh, somewhat quickly tonight. But what we're going to do is move into the human and the, um, and the human authorship of the Bible. The Bible was written by men. Uh, this was not translated from a set of plates, as uh, Joseph Smith claimed with the uh, Mormon Bible. Uh, this was not just uh, brought about by some miraculous uh, 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 dropping from heaven of a Bible or something. Different men put these words down on paper at different times. The best we can guess, it was... Over 40 different men were used of God to assemble this Bible over a period of years that stretches 1500 B.C. to 100 A.D. 1600 years from the time the first word of the Bible was written until the last word of the Bible was written. I want to challenge you, there's no other book in history that took 1500 years to assemble. And yet, there is no contradiction in this Bible if you're willing to believe what it says. And so we start with the Pentateuch. That is the the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Law of God. And uh, we look here and, and many different... Uh, 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 passages that we could quote. I've got a, context, uh, a quote here 
Uh, this is from the Zondervan Pictorial Encyclopedia of the Bible, Volume 4, page 675. Let me just read it. Deuteronomy states, chapter 31, verse 9, that Moses wrote this Torah. Cross-reference, Exodus 17, 14, 24, 4, 34, 27, Numbers 33, verses 1 and 2. Many scholars do not take this claim serious despite the fact that it has the backing of Jesus Christ. John chapter 5, verse 46 and 47, John chapter 7, verse 19. Modern Pentateuchal criticism is based on on philosophical presuppositions that rule out the possibility of God's supernatural intervention in history. This results in an attempt to explain away not only Mosaic authorship, but all supernatural events recorded in these books. Faith in Christ and faith in the books of the Old Testament canon stand or fall together. Now, here's what the Zondervan Pictorial Encyclopedia, is. whoever wrote this article, is simply saying, you can't pick and choose what parts of the Bible you will believe. Either you believe what the Bible says about itself, or you choose not to believe what the Bible says. Those who choose not to believe what the Bible says will eventually come to the point of denying the existence of God, the supernatural intervention of God in human events. In fact, they explain away everything that God could possibly have done in history. And so, as we look at this, we have to understand something. You want to deny that Moses put down Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You are, in essence, calling Jesus a liar because Jesus said Moses wrote the books. Read the references. We talked about creation and how people love to attack the Bible on the basis of evolution. But... There is no scientific basis whatsoever for evolution. Not one. Now people say, oh, you're just ignorant to the facts. No. It is not I who am ignorant of the facts. And we could just list time after time after time after time. One of the most famous ones are the horses. How many of you remember seeing the chart of the horses? in the evolutionary scale. And they show how the horse developed from a little tiny uh, uh, pygmy horse up to the modern day horse. And that is a complete and total verifiable falsehood. Fossils of all of the different horses have been found in all of the different strata. There is no building of horses at all. Uh, They were just separate species of horses that happened to exist in different sizes in different time periods, etc., etc. Nothing amazing. In fact, nothing that backs evolution at all. 
In fact, this was actually, um, I think I still have the book on my shelf, uh, documented here in New York State by a uh, preacher who feigned himself some type of, uh, of uh, he was uh, a reporter and got into the Museum of Natural History, talked to the chief paleontologist there, and once he found out he was a preacher writing a book on evolution, he completely backed up on every statement he said and went back to the standard old, this is the way it happened and this is the ages, simply because that's the best that they had. You see, God didn't have to give you the best that he had. He gave you the truth. And we can see that everything that the Bible talks about that we can test is true. So why wouldn't you trust the Bible on things that you can't test or you cannot see? We apply that rule to everything else in this world, but not to God and not to the Bible. Because the great truth that is at stake here when we talk about the Bible, if this book is God's authoritative revelation to mankind, then we as created beings have an obligation to listen and to obey God. And that is the issue. That is where the conflict is. The devil is not foolish. And and many of these people of our quote-unquote modern society, uh, they want to attack the foundation. It, It was David that said in Psalm 11, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And someone says that they refuse to believe the Bible is the Word of God, you have no basis to witness to that person on. But I'll tell you, and I've said this many times, if they'll believe what the Bible says about their sin, they'll believe what the Bible says about creation. Don't waste your time on creation. Deal with the issue of sin and salvation. Amen? So we look at the Pentateuch and those who would dispute Moses' authorship. They're not only working on the text, but they're working on the truths that are in the text. They're trying to erase God. They're trying to remove the Ten Commandments and their application in our lives In the books of Moses, the word LORD, capital L-O-R-D, is 1,552 times in the five books. God, referring to uh, uh, the Creator, is 677 times. Jehovah God is eight times. And let's just turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28 here and and, uh, look at this verse very quickly here. And we'll keep moving. Deuteronomy 28. And verse 58, it says, If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, 
the Lord thy God. Then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful, and the plagues of thy seed, even great plagues, and of long continuance, with sore sicknesses, and long continuance. And it goes on. Does not history bear out the destruction of any people that have turned their back on the truths of this book, including God's people themselves? When Israel refused to follow the words of this book, they were removed from their land into Babylon. They came back. They rebuilt the temple. Uh, It's an amazing history that is recorded in your Bible. God is concerned about His words. There are over 25 times in the Old Testament law that the term cut off is used. God says, if you don't obey these words, you're going to be cut off from Israel. That was removed from the nation of Israel, removed from being able to practice faith in God. Death was the penalty for breaking the commandments of God. And let's turn to Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9. It says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land, whether ye go to possess it. How many of you got that? I mean, how can you get any more straightforward than what's right here? These are the commandments, statutes, judgments. God says, I want you to do them. And uh, that thou mightest fear the Lord, verse 2, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee. Thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it that it may be well with thee and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children." And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house, and upon thy gate. And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, and vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. And we could read on in this passage here, but it simply suffices to say that God is concerned 
about the words of these first five books, that we pay attention to them. And people get caught up in the Ten Commandments, but the best count that, that we have, and this was done by the Jewish rabbis many centuries uh, ago, there are 613 laws in the Old Testament code that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. Many of those, most of those, in fact, deal with the tabernacle and the sacrifices and the rituals that were to be carried out there. But God said, I want every one of them obeyed. So next time you meet someone who says, I'm going to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments, ask them what they're going to do with the other 603. Totally freak them out. You see, God's law is given to us and God expects His law to be obeyed. The penalty was to be removed from Israel. If you and I were alive in 1500 or so, when these things were written, most of us are not Jews. We would have to join Israel to follow their laws. And it was that way up until the time that Jesus died on the cross and he established his church that broke the barrier between Jew and Gentile. And we'll get to that in uh, as we go through the Bible. But there are many other testimonies. Psalm 1 tells us about meditating in God's words and the results of that. Psalm 119. How many of you were here when we spent over a year going verse by verse and phrase by phrase through Psalm 119? Is I the only one? Okay, I see a few hands now. All but two of those verses dealt with the words of God. And yet, in those two verses... God's law was referenced, even though it wasn't actually mentioned. Where did Israel, when they were removed from the land, they were carried into Babylon, they came back, they rebuilt the temple. Nearly 150 years later, after Jerusalem was destroyed, Nehemiah comes, they rebuild the city walls, and we have the story of Nehemiah. And what was the first thing they did once they reestablished the city as a city and rebuilt the walls? Nehemiah chapter 8, they read the words of the Pentateuch. Everything in your Old Testament, everything that has to deal with Israel as a nation is based upon the first five books of the Bible. Jesus said he believed them. He quoted from the Pentateuch. He claimed that Moses wrote them. We have Peter quoting the Pentateuch. Paul quotes the Pentateuch repeatedly. The writer of Hebrews, you could not understand a thing in the book of Hebrews if it weren't for Leviticus Numbers and Deuteronomy. You wouldn't get it. The book of Hebrews would be nonsense. And by the way, without Hebrews, 
do we really understand what the Old Testament law was all about? There's a back and forth in the Bible, which... Could you... Let's just try to put this in context. The book of Hebrews was probably written somewhere toward the end of the first century, 70, 80, uh, possibly 90 A.D., certainly before the book of Revelation. The Pentateuch was penned 1,500 years before Christ. We are on the extreme ends of God's revelation as recorded in this book of the Bible. And yet, when we went through the book of Hebrews, it took us again over a year to do that. We made so many connections. The book of Hebrews, I call it God's switchboard, because He makes every connection between the law. The book of a proper understanding of the book of Hebrews removes nearly every contradiction that the world offers in the Scriptures. Uh, A proper understanding of the book of Hebrews is absolutely necessary if you're going to believe in an inerrant word of God. Now stop and think about that. Books written 1,500 years apart that are so much a part of each other that it's almost inexplicable unless you have the same author. And we know that's not humanly possible now, is it? But the same Holy Spirit that gave Moses the words to write 1,500 years before Christ is the same Holy Spirit that gave the author of the book of Hebrews. By the way, it's not signed. Uh, Most people believe the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know. And I believe one of the reasons the Lord did that is because how in the world can you explain an unknown author 1,500 years later writing a book that takes this entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, which hadn't even been written yet, and puts it in perfect alignment? There's only one explanation. God is concerned about His words. Can we say amen to that? And so, on the back of your page here, we're just going to... Here's a summary of the books. The book of Genesis. The author was Moses. The date of writing, approximately 1500 B.C. The time period that it covers is 2369 years. That's using Bishop Usher, an Episcopal bishop, that claimed to go through and add up all the dates... Uh, 4004 B.C. to 1635. And uh, then we have Exodus giving us the time period that um, the ending of the slavery and, and their freedom from Egypt. We have Leviticus that gives us the laws and the rights of the tabernacle. And uh, then the book of Deuteronomy gives us basically the 40 years wandering in the wilderness and, and recounts, I mean, numbers, I'm sorry. And then the book of Deuteronomy recounts these things. We have the last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy talking about Moses' death. 
And someone said, oh, Moses wrote prophetically about his own death. Is it such a stretch to say that Joshua filled in the last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy after Moses' death? I mean, that's why do we go to ridiculous extremes when the Bible's... Who wrote the book of Joshua? Uh, maybe Joshua. Amen? And we have... We leave the first section, the, the law, the Pentateuch, whatever you want to call it, and come into the books of history. Other than Joshua, Ezra, Nehemiah, we do not know the authors. Chances are Mordecai was the writer of the book of Esther, but it wasn't signed. But certainly he would have been the, the, the man who would have been able to put down that entire history because it was his history. And, and he had lived uh, those 70 years. Someone said it would be impossible for Mordecai to have been in Jerusalem, but we, we dealt with that when we went through the book of Esther. The basic time period is covered is about a thousand years from the entry into the land of Canaan until uh, the last prophecy of Malachi, which would have been during the uh, Persian Empire. God is mentioned 821 times. The Lord Jehovah is 1,623 times. People have tried to criticize the historical narratives that are in the Bible. They've tried to tell us that David didn't kill Goliath and, and all of these different things. But again, I want to challenge you. Why would you approach the Bible from a standpoint that it's not God's Word? you're going to obviously come up with any kind of conclusion that you want to. If you'll just read the history that is there. In this window here, who knows what the Hebrew term for the star in the window is? The Mogan David. The star of David. Why do the Jewish people today talk about the star of David because he was the king in Jerusalem with whom the people of Israel and the nation of Israel identifies because it was his son Solomon and his son after him and after him and after him until the Babylonian captivity that reigned in Israel. And there's a promise in the prophecies that a descendant of David is going to come back and sit upon that throne in Jerusalem again. And we know his name, do we not? As Jesus Christ, the Son of the righteous. You see, no other religious history, no other book in the history of the world has all the connections that the history this book has. We have found records 
Uh, I've used the illustration. They found Assyrian records of Assyrian kings that, for lack of a better, we can't understand the thing that the Assyrians wrote about their own history. But we have the history of the Assyrian kings recorded in the Bible, and we can verify what the Bible says as being historically and even having the names of the kings spelled correctly so that we would understand who they're talking about. All those long lists of names, so-and-so begat so-and-so. How many of you enjoy that when you get to that part of the Bible? It was uh, Robert Dick Wilson, one of the greatest professors ever to be at Princeton University, who studied all of those lists of names. And his claim was simply this, that those lists of names are one of the greatest evidences to the historical truthfulness of the Bible and its recorded text, because we can find names that match those in other manuscripts, in other languages, from other people at the very same time. And we can find records very similar to what the Bible talks about. You see, people talk about, well, how can you... And they love to question American history. How many of you have heard the story about George Washington chopping down the cherry tree? Didn't happen. We can trace the history of that fable back to about 1876 for the centennial. Some guy was trying to make up wonderful stories to lift up the character of George Washington. And that's about where it shows up in the history books. You know what the truth is? If you really want to elevate George Washington's character, tell the story of the night in upstate New York during the Revolutionary War where he lost his way. It was raining. It was a terrible night. And as he was going through the trackless wilderness, it was actually just what we now call upstate New York, Putnam County and and uh, along the Hudson River there, Orange County, that area, he happened upon a light. And he walked up and found out it was a home. And knocked on the door and began to inquire of the people there uh, whether there was lodging for him and his horse that night. And he found out there was. And through the conversation, he began to talk to them a little bit and found out that they were believers in the cause of freedom and in the cause of the revolution. And uh, they invited him to partake of their family prayers, and he did. And as they retired at night, they showed him to his room, and they could hear him kneeling on the floor and praying in long, continual sentences, asking God to give them the victory in the battle. Now, if you want to talk about character of a man, how about telling that story, which actually did happen. And in the morning, as he bid adieu to his uh, guest, he 
He said, I, uh, would you accept uh, some money for lodging me? And they said, no. And finally, he gave the wife a coin and he said, you should at least know who you lodged. He said, I'm George Washington, the commander in chief of the, uh, of the Continental Army. And uh, the family kept that coin and passed it down from generation to generation. I'll tell you what, that tells you character. That is real stories and real history. It's out there if you look for it. That's what we have in the Bible, my friend. Most history is compiled after the fact, is it not? And people have criticized the books of Chronicles and Kings because there are contradictions. So-and-so reigned after so-and-so. And, and, and they disagree with each other. And simple truth of the matter is you just need to read. Jotham, the son of Uzziah, reigned for 16 years while his dad was still alive in a leper colony outside the city of Jerusalem because he had violated the holiness of the temple. And one writer counted Jotham's reign from the time that he stepped in and co-reigned from his father. And another writer started when his father died and Jotham became the king indeed. And they're going to call that a contradiction. We just simply call that a difference in how history is recorded. Are we together on that? And so as we look through the books of the Bible, the main theme of these histories show us the results of obedience to and the disobedience of the laws of Moses. Every deed is judged in the books of history based on the Pentateuch. And we get down to the book of Esther. And many people have criticized the book of Esther and said, it doesn't belong in the Bible. The name of God is not mentioned once in the book. Uh, I'd like to challenge you. How could you read through the book of Esther and not see the unseen hand of God moving in events in people's lives? The only way you cannot see that is because you don't want to. Because you choose not to. The very night that Haman was coming to ask for Mordecai's life, the king reads the records that had been recorded possibly even years beforehand. And Haman, who is seeking to kill Mordecai, is sent by the king to honor the very man he wants to destroy. How in the world could you... The writers of fiction can't come up with a storyline that good. And yet, this is a history of God's people that is beyond dispute. And its beauty and its pages... It, are for us to read and examine today, and yet every deed is judged by the laws of Moses in the history of Israel. Isn't that an amazing continuity? As it stretches over a thousand years of history, stop and think about 
here. Now, you go out to Oklahoma, in a hundred years, man, that's old. Oklahoma wasn't even a state, I don't think, until 1919 or something like that. Uh, I don't remember the actual date. Somewhere around there. You know why they call Oklahoma the Sooner State? It's because some people sneaked over the line to claim property uh, hours before they were allowed to. Therefore, they were called Sooners. Uh, They were cheats. Uh, I don't think I'd want that history on me. But you look here in New York City and you want to get to ancient history, you go back to the 1630s and 40s. And yet, how far back is that compared to a thousand years? We're not even halfway there. Could you imagine one code of law for one people in one locality, geographical location, going back a thousand years? No one else can make those claims. But it's in your Bible. And we have every right to have faith in every word that God has given and preserved for us today. And all God's people said, Amen. Just take a moment. If you'd like to pray, and then we'll get into our prayer time. I hope you don't mind us doing this kind of study on Sunday night, but it is something that we need to, to go over again. And just be reminded, I can trust in God's Word. All God's people said, if you need a prayer list, wave a hand there. Brother Henry will get you one. There should be enough there. And uh, third week of the month, and so we're praying for our church ministries. And uh, Brother Hiram told me, uh, just I talked to him last week, that uh, things are progressing with this new building there, the new location, and so keep that in prayer. Um, the, the priest that's in charge of the property is very excited about them getting the property and maintaining it and taking that burden off them. And, of course, uh, Brother Hiram's going to turn it into a preaching station and try to see if the Lord would not assemble a congregation about 30 miles down the road from where he is now. And what a, what a blessing that, that would be. So keep Brother Hiram in, in prayer. And, by the way, Tuesday, I think it is, the interns are leaving uh, Boston area and uh, are headed there to Brother Hiram's for a week. Uh, keep Mike and Kelly in prayer. Pray for the growing of the church and just pray for the wisdom in planning the work and getting these things done. And of course, continue to pray for Brother Franz and Miss Sonia in uh, Morris Park there and then uh, other 
churches, Brother Saravia, as they meet here, and in Peekskill, and the Greek Baptist Church. And then our special request here, these are the uh, cards that I was given by the usher. And um, I would like to add one to that. Some of you will remember a friend of, uh, uh, actually a friend of Julia's family for many more years than mine is uh, Miss Vivian, we call her. Uh, just talked to her a little bit this afternoon, and uh, she is having some very, uh, some health problems. And so if you just write down Vivian or Miss Vivian and pray for her. Uh, she remembers when uh, my wife was a, a, a young teenager visiting the city, traveling with her dad. Uh, and that was a couple years ago. Uh, we won't tell you how many, but uh, uh, quite a few. And so... Uh, just pray for Miss Vivian now as she's having some health issues there. Is there any other requests that we need to add to the list? Brother Dave? Okay, so uh, add an unspoken request for Brother Franz if you would. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Uh, pray for. Now I'm forgetting. It's not Elena. It, it's your mother. Right. So, Mrs. Bioni's mother. So pray for her if you would. All right. Anything else? Yes. Your brother Marvin? Yes, Mervin, I'm sorry. Yeah, pray for Janelle's brother Mervin. Okay. And Miss Maria? Okay, somebody's going to have to help me with that. Huh? Oh, yes, pray for safety on the bike trip. Yes, yeah. Well, Dad's there going to take care of him, so... That's why mom's worried, so let's, let's just pray for safety on the trip. And, uh, yes, we do want to pray for safety on the trip. And, no, uh, it's supposed to be scattered storms, so we'll just pray that they're not too specific in one place. And uh, pray that nobody eats too much at the smorgasbord on the way home. If you don't know what one of those are, it's an incredible thing. All right, Brother Mike. Okay. Amen. Fifteen this morning at North Brooklyn and three visitors. And so, and a good prospect. We praise the Lord for that. So, that, and that's a prayer request. Let's keep it pray. Let's keep praying. Amen. And pray. We, we need to get them into the building. We just do. And, uh, Again, I thank you for your patience as we're spending sometimes 30 more or more hours a week over at Union Working. And uh, it does curtail a few things that we would like to do here. So just uh, pray for us as we try to balance everything and get going. Okay, I think we got everything, did we not? And so, uh, Ms. Rowena.